You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Bare Bones. As always, I am Mason West, and today I am joined with special guest Q, because I'm going to always butcher your name, so I'm refusing to say anything besides that. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I've been... uh thinking about these stats all week so hopefully i have, i do not disappoint yeah it's really funny we were just talking before the show started about kind of where we wanted or where i wanted to get some of these stats from and you know you've I've all these wild ideas of like okay so how would justin like look if he was going against a simulated pressure but against cover three <laughs> and i'm like okay i don't have the time to figure that out so maybe in the works is trying to get you know some of these deeper statistical analysis that'll give us that info so that'd be super super cool but for now, I'm just pretending that I know stats and combining stuff until I sound smart. Yeah, um, that, that's how you start, though. You know, that's how you uh, I was there once. And then I started thinking, hey, maybe I actually know more now. Who knows if I actually do? But like, you know, that's that's how you get started. You just like start playing around with numbers somehow. And they probably don't make any sense when you first start. But you find ways to eventually make them make sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I always love having you on too, because you do some pretty deep stuff. You know, every off season you have that amazing Excel sheet that you can just plug in get all these players and draft picks and numbers and see if you have any idea how to put together a team. I mean, you're who I go to when, you know, I'm like, hey, do you have any like advanced offensive line stats that I can somehow pull out? <laughs> so, you know, I, I always appreciate you, you know, your insight and you coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm always glad to come on. Always enjoy it. Uh, but before we get to the stats part, uh, there is this rivalry, right, that's been now created between Bears and Panthers fans, especially on Twitter. Everyone wants the other to fail, obviously, because the Bears want that nice early number one draft pick. Panthers don't want to, to give an early pick if they can avoid it. And so I'm kind of curious your perspective. You know, I know I, I have some thoughts on this, but where, where do you think the Panthers are going to lie next year? I mean, are you looking at a top 10 pick or is it something a little different? Um, you know, so I actually can't speak too, too confidently on them yet because over at Shaving Points Podcast, we do every offseason, we go team by team, like or division by division, really. And we do like a two hour episode going team by team and put them all out on YouTube. Next week is NFC South. So mm-hmm. I haven't dove into their roster like I have like every other team or every AFC team in the NFC West so far. But I will in a week, but for now, like, I mean, my, my gut feeling with the Panthers is that they're going to be better than people want them to be, but I don't know. Like, I think that people who are expecting them to be like a fringe playoff team, I think they're a little over optimistic. Like to me, them landing in the probably seventh pick to the 12th pick is kind of where my expectation would be. Cause that's like, that, that that's like six, seven win territory, right? That's where you end up. If you're a six, seven win team, that's kind of where I think that they are, they're going to be sitting. 
Yeah, I keep going back and forth on this. You know, I look at that that division and it's trash. <laughs> There's not good teams there, so it's very easily you can... Oh, the Falcons are winning that division. But and the Falcons are that's the thing though. The Falcons are low key potentially good. That offense is gonna yeah. be so fun to watch. Um, they have a very good defense, right? I mean, when you have guys like Shaq Thompson, Brian Burns, JC Horn, Von Bell, Jeremy Chin, Xavier Woods, you're gonna have a solid defense. But when you look well, at I don't other, even think you name their two best defensive players and Derek Brown and uh Brian Burns. I mean, that that the reason I have a hard time saying that they'll be that bad is because they have a good O line and they have a good D line. And when you have those two things, you're usually not that bad. And then you look at the other side of the ball and, you know, let's say DJ Chark, who's had a hard time staying healthy. And the reason I'm bringing this point up is I was listening to the uh, athletic football show. Robert Mays brought this point and I thought it was really interesting. Let's say DJ Chark gets hurt. So you basically have Adam Thielen. And then after that, you have, I'm about like an old Adam Thielen. <laughs> and then after that, you have yeah. Terrace Marshall, uh, maybe Jonathan Mingo, LaVisca Chanel, Shai Smith, Demir Bird. It, it doesn't exactly scream offensive efficiency. Uh, Miles Sanders, who's always been kind of hit and miss. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, I don't – I think it was really – it was easy to, like, be, like, rag on them and be like, oh, it's a top five pick. And then it almost jumps the other way where it was like, well, maybe they're a fringe playoff contender if Bryce Young is as efficient as we think he's going to be. And that's just crazy. Yeah, to your point with the uh, – with kind of the weapons, and I, the way I always kind of like to think about it is that the pits on both sides set a team's floor. And the weapons or in the secondary guys, they set they set the ceiling, you know. Yeah. So it's like, like you can think about Cincinnati a few years back. They like their floor was low because the O line was rough, but the ceiling was high because their skill positions were just so good. And I think that's kind of the way I like to look at team building. I think it's a really good point. Glad it really should have waited a week or two apparently to get your full perspective. But you know, I think that was a good dabbling, <laughs> and I think that sets expectations a little better for some either overzealous Bears fans or overzealous Panthers fans, either way you want to go. Um, But before we get going into all of our stats, we got to talk about our sponsor, My Mighty Meals. Owner and founder Chris Davia puts the personal touch to healthy eating that most meal prep services are missing. I have been using his services for almost three years now and haven't looked back. My Mighty Meals are cooked fresh and delivered directly to your home or work weekly in the Chicagoland area. They taste great the day you get them, as well as the final day of your week as you anticipate your next delivery. Each meal is macro-friendly and makes it incredibly easy to track. You can choose from standard meals that are under 500 calories or heftier ones that are between 500 and 750 calories. The meals rotate each week, so I personally never get bored. A few examples from this week, beef and quinoa chili, buffalo turkey mac, shrimp taco bowl, just to name a few. Need something a little more specific or have dietary restrictions? You can customize your order for just a little bit more. One of my favorite parts is that there isn't a subscription, so you don't get stuck with the meals you don't need. Skip a week, a month, or more if you need it. Find him on Instagram at MyMightyMeals and use the code GRIDIRON25 for 25% off your first order at MyMightyMeals.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, that's always a whole thing to read those things. Yeah, but you got to sell them, right? 
That's I'm thinking said, about getting some of my mighty meals myself if I yeah, right. or at least if I didn't live in Texas or <laughs> soon to be Philadelphia, I'd be like, yeah. If I lived in Chicago, I'd be all for it. You're moving to Philly? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's why why I'm kind of in disarray in the background here at the end of the month. Uh, that's crazy. All right, man. Good luck on that. I just moved like literally just 30 minutes, and I hate it. So, <laughs> yeah, this will be uh, it'll make life a lot easier. My wife's from up there and her family's about a hundred people big and we spent so much on plane tickets. It's like, we just need to move there. That makes sense. Well, why don't you kick us off? What is your first stat that you found that you concocted that really highlights where the bears are, where they were at last year, where they're going this year, things they need to improve on, whatever it may be. Yeah. So I just threw that up to share the screen. Um, and it might be a little blurry for some of you guys out there, but I think it's readable. Um, this first one, I just looked at contract year wide receivers. And I wanted to see, you know, how much of it's a myth that these guys, because I, I, keep, I keep telling people that, you know, contract year wide receivers who are, they I play out the final year, they tend to do pretty well. But then I was like, I got to stop saying that because I don't know if it's actually true. Like I've never looked at the numbers. So I decided to look at the numbers. And I broke it down into two different categories. One is wide receivers who played out that final year without any extension. And another was wide receivers who were extended after OTAs is what I called it. Like if they were sending in June, July, something like that. So they spent, you know, that four or five, maybe even almost six months thinking, you know, this is a contract year in training like it and preparing for the season as if they're, they're going into make or break year. Um, so the guys who played the, played out the final year of their contract found that they actually kind I mean, their volume went up. You know, they they saw more targets, more yard, more general like yards, I guess, per game, a few more touchdowns, that type of stuff. But they missed more games. And once I saw this, I knew I definitely wanted to bring it up on this show because I wanted to ask you, Mason, about your thoughts on that, about any, do you think overtraining could be a thing that's happening there? Do you think it's just more like guys staying on the field when they shouldn't or, because it's odd that they're missing, you know, three and a half more games a year when they're playing out a contract year than when they're not. That's so interesting. Um, I mean, if I had to guess, I would think it's just a matter of, you know, A, like some time in the league, right? Just the fact that you've been in the league a little while, there's some general wear and tear. And then on top of that, you know, you might have a little nick here and there. You might have what we say, like, are you hurt or are you injured, right? Like some of the guys who might be hurt are pushing a little more and causing an injury just because you're like, I got to prove this, right? If I miss half the season, like there's no way I'm going to get the the money I want from either this team or my next team. So now all of a sudden that hurt becomes a little bit more. So yeah, I would think it's a little bit of a combination of some of those things. That's really interesting. Yeah. And then, so I also looked at the guys who, like I said, did receive an extension before the season started um, in that window between like OTAs and the start of the season. And those guys didn't miss games the same way. Like they, they missed prior to the contract year, they missed 1.6 games a year. After they missed 1.4, or in that contract year, I should say, they missed 1.4. So there was really no change there. And across their stats, I mean, they were pretty similar. 
you, you can see I, I feel like they probably got a little more target share and a little bit more attention from defenses after getting paid, but there was no no major, major change there. Um, and I put Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool's stats down here at the bottom for comparison. And really, both guys kind of fit into the group that did play out their final year of their contract uh, as far as like where their average stats kind of fall. Um, you see the guys who got extended tended to be thousand yard guys for two out of the three years and really pushing up over a hundred targets a year that, and neither Mooney or Claypool averaged that in their time in Chicago. No grand both did deal with some injuries. Oh, I mean, Claypool, not his time in Chicago, but his time since being drafted. But um, I do almost wonder if both these guys rehabbing this off season might be a bit of a blessing in that form though, of like they're coming into the season, hopefully 100% and net not have any lingering things that are sitting there that they can hopefully avoid those extra games missed that I saw in the data here. Well, and I say that all the time to some of the athletes that I have come in where, you know, they're down, they just had like a mid to major injury, like, you know, an ankle sprain, they had a tear or something like that. And for ones that aren't like debilitating, a lot of times I say to them, this is a bit of a blessing in disguise for you. Like, yes, you're going to miss, you know, maybe it was like the last half of their sophomore year of high school or something like that. But it's like, but now we're finding all these things that were leading to this injury in the first place. And so now what we can do is we can attack and really tease all these things out. So not only are you going to be less injury prone going forward, but also, I mean, your performance is going to be better. Right? If one of the things that limited you or cause uh, your knee sprain was hamstring weakness, you're going to run faster. You're going to have more power if we can get that hamstring working more optimally than you were before the injury. So, you know, combining that with also, you look at some of these guys leading up to training camp, some of them are putting the work in and some of them just straight up aren't. <laughs> let's, let's be real. Some guys are still <laughs> in vacation mode. Um, and so when you're rehabbing, you're kind of just ramping up, ramping up, ramping up. So you're hitting the ground running, like no pun intended, going into training camp in the season you know, you don't have as much of that. All right. We got to knock the cobwebs off. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. My stat, which is not nearly as cool as yours, but you know, I'm, we're going to go with it. <laughs> so the Chicago bears ranked seventh in the NFL last year in completed air yards per completion at 6.5 yards per completion. That's a, that's a decent stat. Like, so how did they do well in this category, but passing offense is a whole struggle. Well, they only ranked 11th in completed air yards per attempt at 3.8. So pretty substantial drop there. Basically, when they completed a pass, it was for a decent gain. But a substantial drop shows they struggled just to complete passes in general, which is kind of a duh. You know, the Bears offense just didn't complete a lot of passes. But even that is not as horrible when you go further and see that the Bears ranked dead last than in passing attempts with 377 and completions at 223. Now, this quote brings me to a point that I had last episode with Danny where I don't really know and who Luke Getze is or ultimately where he's going to be. Because, you know, you look at a chef that's given really bad ingredients, you don't expect them to produce, you know, Michelin-level dinner. But at the same time, you hope they have the skill set to get a little more out of what you have. You look at the Giants, right? The Giant Daniel Jones sucks. I'm sorry. I can't get behind Daniel Jones. But they created an offense specifically uh, with Dable as well as Kafka there that they got a lot out of those meh ingredients. So I know like they, they didn't have the receivers and everything like that. The offensive line was a bit of a mess. But when you're ranked 
dead last in passing attempts and completions. But when you do finally pass the ball a little bit, you can see you can get some decent yards. That's where I have a bit of a disconnect and where I do wonder, you know, hey, where where is Getsy as a great play caller? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I really, really just seem all season, like for the first half of this or quarter of the season, I was I was going out on Twitter and just being like, you guys, we can't even compare quarterbacks right now like we just we can't Justin Fields has thrown like what was it seven third 45 passes in the first three games you know that's just not enough to even compare any of these stats that you're looking at there there's not a sample size here and so from from that was it week four on I just pulled it up here um they averaged what 24 attempts per game which is still low like that's still that still might be last in the NFL, but the first three games, you're talking about an average of 15 pass attempts per game, and you know one of those is you played in a monsoon week one. It was actually raining again in week two when you when you you had uh, when you went up to Green Bay, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that impacted it some, but there was definitely more going on there with picking up the offense and um, getting used to it. Like, I mean, that third game that against the Texans, the numbers were still low and fields didn't look good either. You know, he was still clearly figuring out some of the offense. So you hope this year that those numbers do come around more to even exceeding that 24 per game that we saw from week five on. Um hopefully getting up to, you know, 27, 28 a game would be, I, th- I think the ideal range to be right around league average. I assume I'm not a hundred percent sure on where that would be league average, but also you get the, the oddities of how much of a scrambler Justin Fields had to be last year. You know, I bet you his dropbacks per game look a little bit closer to normal than his pass attempts per game. Right. Because there were a lot of plays where he dropped back and it's just like, well, I got to, I got to bail. Cause I, I'm going to get smashed if I hang here. Well, and you're absolutely right. I mean, if you go back on, you know, all my Twitter rants during games, it was like very protective of Justin in a way where it was like, I don't expect really know where you want him to throw the ball because his receivers were not creating separation and his offensive line was not letting him sit in the pocket. Did he need right. some improvement in pocket awareness? Yeah, of course. You know, there were some times he could have probably stepped up when he didn't. But at the same time, when you have Sam Mussifer, who's blowing a block right up the middle, yeah, you're going to get a little little antsy in the pantsy and you're going to want to scramble a bit. So there's, I think, layers to this where there is a bit of the obvious. The line sucked. The receivers weren't great. Your top receiver was injured, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, like to be dead last in pass attempts, I mean, that's a little gnarly to me. Um, Again, I'm going to use the Giants. Their weapons weren't that much better. Their line wasn't, I mean, it was better than the Bears, but like, let's not pretend it was leaps and bounds better than the Bears. So like, there's got to be a little bit of A, a little bit of B. So I'm hoping looking ahead to next year, we won't have that excuse of offensive line receivers. Now we can just say like, okay, what, like, let him throw, let's get the ball out of here. Yeah. So what do you got for your second stat? So for my second one, I got another graphic if you want to throw yeah. it up there. There it is. Um, Boom. It is, I stuck with the wide receiver ideas here. Um, How much does a wide receiver one help an offense? Like a legit wide receiver one. And 
I went off uh, guys who had, I think it was over at least one 1,000 yard season and um, a PFF route running grade, I think of 70 or higher. So it wasn't the highest bar ever, but like it was enough that, you know, you feel like all these guys are at least number two options on any team, if not a number one on a lot of teams. Um, And at first, like Brandon Cooks is a guy who you might say, maybe he's not a true number one, but like he's definitely, he's a high end number two on every team in the NFL, I would think. Um, Because I I feel like that's kind of where DJ Moore is. He's like right at like an average number one wide receiver in my mind, like, which is, which I think there's only probably like 15 if that many number one wide receivers in the NFL. So that's like, he's a top 15 receiver, but on the, towards the, the, the back end of that, a 10 to 15 range. Um, so I wanted to make sure that I didn't just have Devonte Adams, AJ Brown, Tyree kill and Jamar chase in here, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's really interesting looking at it. Like ultimately the way I did this, I went looking for guys who missed games more than I went looking for guys who changed teams or something like I included Devonte Adams leaving green Bay and Tyree kill getting to Miami and leaving Kansas city. But what I really wanted more of was the games last year where Detroit didn't have a Monroe St. Brown. Cause I feel like that's a more one-to-one kind of relationship, right? Yeah. It's more same roster, same circumstances, same coaching, but you just don't have this guy for these games. And like the difference for some of these guys was huge. I mean, we all know Devon, like Green Bay took a major step back last year without Devontae, but um, the three games Amon Ross St. Brown was out, the the Lions were one of the worst offenses in the NFL. Like they, their difference in EPA per play was 28 spots in the rankings and their difference in success rate was 16 spots in the rankings. I mean, I, I'm sure there might've been some other stuff going on there. Cause I don't think he's that, that valuable. I don't know if there's any player who's that much of a difference maker, but it was a part of it. You see Keenan Allen was one that was huge to me too, to see like, cause he missed a lot of time last year and that, oh, that Chargers offense was not right without him. Like, a 12 rank difference in success rate for their offense versus when he, when he was with the team versus when he wasn't that pass offense just wasn't quite the same. So that type of stuff was really encouraging to me to find in here when looking at like, how is DJ Morgan to impact this offense? Um, the other guy who really stood out to me was um, Chris Olave again with success rate, especially like five a five rank difference, which was about the, the the median here of what you're looking at. The average was only with one rank difference, but that's really offset by the rate the Raiders offense struggling last year so much, even though they added Devontae Adams, which I think there's a lot more going on there than than meets the eye. Um and the Texans, Brandon Cooks, I didn't I didn't want to let the average get thrown off by just those two guys. So I threw the median number in here as well on the median. These offenses were eight ranks better out of 32. So that's, that's what, like a, a quarter, a quarter of the, the rank that they're jumping or a quarter of NFL teams. That they're jumping when they have these guys in EPA per play and five rank difference in success rate. And really success rate is the big one to me. Like I think, if you've got explosive players, you'll be able to make explosive plays right here and there. 
but you won't be getting up. One thing I've really just been harping on a lot lately in my thought process is success rate, is the consistency of just being able to move up and down the field when you need to and get get to where you need to get without putting yourself in terrible situations that are really hard to, to get to the stick, get back to the sticks on, like, you know, a third and nine or a second and 11. Those, those can just kill your drive. And those are, those are just extremely detrimental to your success rate. And I think a number one wide receiver goes a long way to keeping those from hurting you. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it really boils down to a couple, I would think a couple things. A, do you have that easy button? right? It's third and four. Do you have someone that you're pretty confident? You know what? I'm just going to zip this guy the ball. He's going to get me that first down and we can just move on, like live to fight another day and for that next set of downs, which is very just straight up didn't have, you know, every time that Justin looked for someone to throw the ball to on third and fourth, they're also to be fair. I don't think they ended up in that many third and manageables. <laughs> there was a lot of third and longs. Um, but like, who's your, who's your easy button on that team? You, especially when, when Darnell yeah. Mooney went down, you just didn't have one, but also B, you know, do you have that person that makes everyone else's job easier? Like you look at, you know, the, the Bears signed Byron Pringle and everyone got super excited because they look at these highlights of Byron Pringle just being wide open, making these catches. Well, why was he so wide open? Well, because you have a Travis Kelsey of a Tyreek Hill demanding a lot of attention. And so now Byron Pringle can actually make plays. Then surprise no one, he gets to the Bears where he's kind of thought to be, you got to be our number two or number three. And he just wasn't doing the same thing. Yeah. Plus he got hurt. I mean, th- there should be X amount of times in the game where you're sitting there saying, we got we got Mooney and Moore lined up over on this side, you know, just stacked on top of each other, or motioning one of them over here to the other side of the formation, and either they follow or they don't follow. But no matter which one it is, you have an answer for it. And I'm not sure last year they had answers, like when, when they saw mismatches that they could create. I don't think they could create that many mismatches. They were just kind of, we need our guys to beat your guys because we're just, we're getting man coverage and we need someone to beat man coverage for the love of God, you know, like, and I just, I think that having guys now who you trust that will beat that man coverage is going to go a long way to finding that easy button for the offense and finding answers before the ball's even snapped, which I think just makes that success rate so much easier to achieve. Who's going to go get you a bucket? And right now the answer is so much better <laughs> this year than it was last year. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big reason why the clay pool trade happened. They were just like, we need someone to beat man coverage or we're just, we're, we're dead in the water. All right. So my next stat, um, actually funny enough, you mentioned scrambling because mine discusses that 73. That is the number of scrambles the bears had last year. Number two was the giants at only 59 the Bills were next at 57. Even when you go down to the fourth and the fifth teams, Chiefs and Eagles, QBs we think of as, you know, mobile, scrambling, they only had 46. That's a pretty stark difference, right? 46% for, or sorry, 46 for the Chiefs and Eagles versus 73 for the Bears. Now, we talked about this a little bit in my last stat. Offensive line sucks. Pressure percent was 25.4%, which is fifth worst in the NFL. I mean, that's horrendous. Uh, and they weren't even blitzed that much. They were blitzed the second least of any team in the NFL. Why? Because you didn't have to. You could send four and be like, all right, we're going to get home. It doesn't matter. Or we can just disguise, you know, uh, we can disguise it. We can send three of our linemen and, oh, here's a sneaky safety or here's a linebacker. But you're still only sending four. 
because the Bears just could handle it. Blitzing probably helps Fields as a runner. So yeah. And you know, we talked about wider sep- wide receiver separation was crap. Like you just talked about. You know, you're not expecting the Pettis to beat anyone one on one. I like Equinemia St. Brown as a number four, but you know, you're not gonna have him beat the number two corner on a team even, at least consistently. And, you know, then you do add on just this stat where it's a little bit of a mixed stat because of Justin scrambling inherently elongates it. And this is talked about all year long, but he did hold the ball a little too long at time. It's right. 3.12 seconds, which was fourth worst in the NFL, only behind Deshaun Watson, Sam Darnold, and Zach Wilson. Yes, when you're having to run for your life, you're going to hold the ball longer. It's, it's just a fact, even if you do get a completion. But, you know, you do look at, you know, some of those plays where maybe there was someone that came open and he didn't zip the ball. Why didn't he zip the ball? Because why the hell would you trust anyone to actually be open where you thought they were? You know, because they're often not there. So I just bring that up. I want to see that 73 number down, right? I want it to be more in like the 57 maybe around the Bills number would be great. That, would, that means that Justin's still using one of his best weapons, which is his legs. But... That's 20 more times over the course of the year that you're throwing the ball downfield, hopefully, to, as you talked about, this improved receiving core, DJ Moore leading the way, and then you go down to Darnell Mooney, Chase Claypool, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I had a thought, and I lost it. But, I mean, his scrambling is such a – it's such an asset, but you don't want to wear it out either, right? You don't want to wear out its welcome and just end up in a, in a spot where a guy didn't learn how to how to manage without it. And I think that that's an important aspect that, I mean, I, over the last few years, I've, I've started putting together this theory that like, I almost think it's better for a quarterback to, to be in a bad situation to a degree when he's young, because when you're like Carson Wentz was and you're walking into an all-star team, you don't learn to find the answers, right? You, you don't need to, you're not forced to learn to find the answers till you already think you have it figured out. And that's, that's a real slap in the face to realize that you just, everything you thought you knew is wrong. Um, like, I mean, I think even you look at a guy like Pat Mahomes, sure. He came to the NFL to, to, to an all-star team, right. To an outstanding roster. After spending the last three years dragging his college team by his teeth to the finish line just to finish below 500 every season, even though he put up 60 points a game. You know, I mean, there's I think that there's aspects there of like you need to go through a little bit of hell to truly develop. And I think the Bears took that to an extreme last year. But I think that it's the same way with kind of learning how to how to get away from some of those habits that you might have needed where like you need some tough coaching to, to make sure that he's not going out and just running every chance that that's there, even though there's better options. And that it's something that I do think he needs to learn. And the, the point that I, in my meandering, I remembered what I was going to talk about. There were times last year where you could see on the film, like if, if you watch any of uh, Robert Schmitz's breakdowns and stuff, his streams where it's like, his eyes are on the guy. The guy's open. Fields' eyes are where they're supposed to be, but he just doesn't pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. I think that that goes to what you were saying, the, the trust level. The Can this guy actually do – is he going to be able to do this to get to where I'm going to put the ball 
before the defender does. And like there, there's, there was that doubt last year in him. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be, it'll be really fun to see those um, as QB school, JTO Sullivan would put it anticipation with a capital A throws. I do expect a lot more of those this year. Yeah. All right. So we have a little break here. Shameless plug time. So I mentioned a couple shows ago, I'm now the clinic director at Ignite Physical Therapy and Sports Performance in the West Loop of Chicago. At Ignite, the goal is to collaborate for a physical therapy, return to sport, rehab, strength, and conditioning, body composition, nutrition counseling, and overall development programming. I plan to emphasize being proactive with all my patients and athletes, not reactive like most PT clinics. We do one-on-one treatment for a full hour. That's 60 minutes where you never get handed off to a tech or an aide. And I use a variety of techniques. We have some pretty cool tools, Kaiser systems, Vernamax jumps, speed systems, blaze pods. But in addition to that, we also just added uh, vault force plates and timing gates. Uh, if you're li- watching live or if you want to go check out the YouTube video, you can see a video here of one of the patients using them. Basically, you get a ton of awesome information on your vertical, how much force you're producing, how well do you absorb force, where are the as- asymmetries between the legs on a double leg jump or even on your singles. We also, and look with the timing gates, you get your 40 times, times down to the millisecond. So it's all of these awesome objective measures that we can use to improve you, not just for the rehab perspective, but from performance. So if you want to set up a time to either get full out PT or even just getting tested with this, you can give me a call, 847-345-2626, or email me at mason at igniteptsp.com. Shameless plug, over. That uh, that just reminds me. It was either you or Ross Reed who mentioned that like the vertical is the first thing to go, right? Like if you stop training it, yeah. And after that, I start thinking about it. it's like, man, I cannot jump like I used to. Now I just don't even want to think about it. <laughs> it's it's so funny because I can't tell you how many guys or gals whoever that I've had come in and they're like, yeah, I went to like play basketball. I haven't played in like four months, five months, and I I wanted to go do that again. And then I was like, okay, so when's the last time you jumped? And it's like, yeah, probably two years ago. I was like, okay, yeah, let's not do that. And for a while, we got to just jump a little. Like, you literally just have to do it before you're going to do yeah. it. It's crazy. <laughs> um, all right, let's do your next stat. And I believe I have another beautiful chart yep. here for you. So we're going to stick on the scrambling idea because I like where your head's at. Uh, so I was thinking about this earlier today. And I was just like, you know, I wonder what putting up twelve or eleven hundred rushing yards. I wonder what that means for Justin Fields, like just long term success. You know, like how many guys have just like put up a lot of rushing yards at quarterback and burned out or like not done not done well. So I went and lo- I went to you know uh, stat ed and just pulled up since the merger every quarterback who's rushed over. 500 yards I did at first. And then I kind of found that there there seems to be a a, a real dividing line at 600. Like only the guys who are really like special runners could seem to be able to breach 600 for the most part. So I was like, okay, let's call it 600. You got Lamar Jackson. And this is just some of these guys did it multiple times. I just didn't want to put their name multiple times. Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Russell Wilson, Donovan McNabb, Randall Cunningham, Steve McNair, Tim Tebow, of course, Michael Vick, Cam Newton, Colin Kaepernick, Kyler Murray, Dante Culpepper, your guy Danny Dimes, oh, Danny. RG3, 
and then former Bears legend Bobby Douglas. So you really only see like three names on here where you're not like, that's a good thing that Justin Fields is a part of this group now. Um, because, I mean, you got three MVPs on this list. You got, what is it? One, two, three, four, eight guys who are in the top 150 all time for MVP share, which is accounting for how many MVP votes they got over the course of their career. Um, a few of these guys were like top 50 in all-time MVP share. You got seven different all pros. So 44% of the quarterbacks who have rushed for 600 yards plus in a single season have made an all pro at least once in their career. 75% of these guys have made a pro bowl, like a real pro bowl, not like an alternate. I didn't count alternates. I was like, if they are really, really going to the pro bowl, but you also found some weird discrepancy where some of these guys got like, second in MVP voting, but weren't all pro or didn't make the Pro Bowl. It's like, that makes sense. Um, But on average, these guys started 90 games, won 55% of their starts, made six playoff starts, won their playoff games at 48% clip, which is, I believe, I didn't double check that, but I believe 48% is pretty darn good. Um because, I mean, you think about it in the playoffs, unless you're winning the Super Bowl, it's hard to even get a 50% winning. Um, yeah. But six of these guys made Super Bowl appearances. So that's 38% of them reached a Super Bowl, but only one won. Russell Wilson was the only Super Bowl winner in this group. Um, but so there's a lot to like here. On average, these guys made two and a half Pro Bowls each. Um 20 19% of them won an MVP. I mean, obviously it's a smaller sample because that's three out of 16, I think. So it makes that 19%, but it's an exclusive club. And all but one of these guys uh, started a playoff game. That's, that's huge to me. Um, And all but three of them won a playoff game. You got a lot of guys who spent a lot of time in the league here. And it just makes me feel really good about Justin Fields' future, to to see these numbers, to see that, you know, having this rushing ability is such a tool for a quarterback. Having the ability to just be this explosive with your legs, it just opens up so much more and makes the game easier for them. And there's no reason you can't be successful because you're a runner, like some people want you to believe. Like there's just, it's just another great asset for any quarterback to have. And it's just going to improve what Justin Fields can become. I think it connects a little bit to your last point you made where, and I'm going to extrapolate on it a bit, but like what, why are you running as much as you are? So if you're running because it's an extra tool in the toolbox, like a Russell Wilson is a good example of that. A Patrick Mahomes is a good example of that. The, you know, as Michael Jordan would put it, the roof is the ceiling. Like it's, it's all like, there's so much you can do with that. But if you're running almost because you have to, and that makes me like, think of like the Lamar Jacksons of the world, because I mean, his receivers have always just been mad. Like yeah. arguably what his best receiver over t- the, his time has been Hollywood Brown, maybe if off the top of my head, um, a Cam Newton who he was supported by a very good defense as well, but just kind of getting, cause he kind of had to, uh, 
that's, I think, where you might get in trouble where, great, you can get to the dance, you can get to the playoffs, but then it starts to kind of close in on you because they take away your best tool, which might be your running, and now you can't win as many games. So it's it's that double-edged sword, and you could very take a glass half empty, glass half full, but I'm more on your side where, like, hey, the, there's so much potential there with how much you can do as a runner. I mean, just with all the numbers you highlighted there, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's – as far as I'm concerned, there's no reason that you have to be a runner. I mean, Josh Allen's on this list. Donovan McNabb was a great thrower of the football. You know, I mean, it's not like he he was a run for – I wouldn't call him a run first guy. It was a tool in his toolbox. Same with, like, Randall Cunningham and Steve McNair. And um, it's interesting, though, all of these guys who made a Super Bowl – we're backed up by some incredible defense. So maybe that's just, you need an incredible defense to make the Super Bowl. but like, it's all the, like the Jalen Hurts, Russell Wilson, Donovan McNabb, Steve McNair, Cam Newton, Colin Kaepernick. Those some of the best defenses I can remember. were just, we're in that group, which is and, interesting. And, yeah. That just goes to show. I mean, again, it is a team sport. Like we, the MVP is normally a quarterback, but you know, unless you have, you know, a defense behind you, usually a pass rusher that can get real hot in the playoffs, right? And can get some really solid pressures. But if you can't, you know, win that turnover battle, some of these other things, you're, it doesn't matter how good you are, whether it's a passer or a runner, you're, you're going to struggle. So that's another really great point. Yeah. And if we want to get really fun with it, we can uh, talk about the, the quarterbacks who've gone over a thousand yards and that's just him and Lamar and he's going to win 75% of his games. So. Easy peasy, right? <laughs> just, just run, Justin. That's the answer. I wish. That'd be so much fun. Um, so I wanted to find, because my last two two stats were a little on the either moderate, you know, right in the middle to negative side. So I want some more positive stats. And I also want to look more on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, we It's really fun to talk offense. It's fun to talk Justin. It's fun to talk DJ Moore because it's exciting. But, you know, this defense, as we just talked about, needs to start improving as well so that when the offense hits its stride, the defense is there. And I avoided anything to do with pass rush. because There's nothing positive to talk about with the pass rush. So I looked at passer rating allowed when targeted. So this is going to be a mixed bag, right? Depending on the number of targets, depending on situation, it's going to be very different if you're a corner versus safety, all that jazz. And I understand all that, but it's, I still find it interesting. Uh, like Duke Shelley was fifth best in, in passer rating allowed. And I'm just refusing to give him any credit. I like Duke Shelley, but like he just, there's a lot of vitriol there when he went uh, to the Vikings and all that jazz, but some other noteworthy names that were in the top 30 in passer rating allowed Tariq Woolen, Jair Alexander, James Bradbury, Yvonne Bell, some pretty solid names. I'll take that. There are two bears in the top 30. Do you know who they are? Two current bears. Jalen Johnson. And Eddie would be my guess. Eddie Jackson had a 66.4 pass rating allowed last year, which was fifth best for a safety, number uh, 24 overall. Weird side note, Eddie's listed as a DB on pro football reference, while pretty much everyone else is either safety or cornerback. It's weird. The other person at number 30 was Tremaine Edmonds at 69.9. Nice. And he was also (laughs) the fifth best linebacker. Now, that to me is huge because I what I want out of a Tremaine Edmonds is, you know, his role to drop back in coverage and to be that umbrella and keep everything in front. 
and to really protect against those tight ends, those crossing routes, some of the, you know, running backs leaking out of the backfield. You know, he struggled a little bit in run run defense. We've seen that with some of his tape, but that's not really what we need him to do. What I think you need him to do is to be that, this is a loaded statement, but that Brian Urlacher-y role where you can defend the pass. And so he, last year, he did a great job of that. Yeah, I mean, I... I could be dated on this. I know that, and I'm not sure if it's what Matt Eberflus's philosophy is, but I believe that Lovey Smith's old cover two philosophy was you want to funnel everything between the hashes. You like you you have your your corners are pressed, keeping anything from going outside, and you are funneling everything inside towards your Mike Brown and your Brian Urlacher and your like, like that was the the core of what Lovey wanted to do is my understanding. So if Eberflus thinks about it in, in, in a similar kind of light, I think that makes a lot of sense that you're, you're going and paying Tremaine Edmonds. Cause you're like, yep, we we're pushing stuff towards the middle of the field. So we need, we need some guys who are going to eat in the middle of the field. If we're, if we want to do that. And uh, Cornelia Squalls has a, you know, a good point here. You know, now Flus, I'm uh, editing what you said, had, had his Shaq, has a Shaq Leonard, right? I mean, like, think about what happened in that draft when you had the conversations of Rokon Smith, Tremaine Edmonds, and then Shaq Leonard got all this praise. Part of it is because he's a very talented linebacker, and part of it is because of what he was asked to do in the, in the defense. Yeah, now I'm not sure. I've seen people say that Shaq Leonard played the will in Indy, and I've seen, I've never gone back and, like, like actually looked and tried to figure it out, but, and that Okariki was more the mic, um, which would make some sense. I mean, Leonard is a star. Don't get me, don't get me wrong there. Leonard is an absolute stud, um, but I'm not, I guess I'm probably not well-versed enough on it to really tell you what the big, big difference is there. My understanding is that the will is more downhill and more reactive to things while the mic has more, um, more just responsibility on a down in that more like checks, more things that he's checking of like, if it's not this, it's this, if it's not this, it's this while the will is more like snap decisions, um, which is Okariki was a hell of a coverage player too. I mean, I, is a hell of a coverage player. I thought he was going to be a Chicago bear this off season, but I mean, I was very happy to get Tremaine Edmonds instead, but um it's just it's interesting that what flu's roles between those linebackers. I almost think he likes the, to to change them up and have them both play both spots essentially, which I don't think it's as simple as spots like you're lined up here, so you're doing this, and you're right. lined up here, and you're doing this. It's more like he interchanges the responsibilities. And WCG Demetrik Ken the exact same thing that you just did. They switched off a lot back there. I think it's a lot like basketball, right? I mean, you don't necessarily have your one, two, three, four, five anymore, right? I mean, you have someone that will handle the ball a little more, but it's so fluid. It's positionless basketball. And whether you're talking about linebacker play or honestly, I think it's the same thing with wide receivers. I mean, I think we get too hung up on who's the X, who's the Z. I mean, I don't care because half the time you have a player like an AJ Brown lining up in the slot now. And because he's not outside really anymore. I mean, even DeAndre Hopkins last year with the Cardinals was lining up more in the slot. Some of that might have been because he lost a little bit of a step and they were trying to kind of protect, you know, protect him a little bit. But at the same time, you're just, you're moving pieces around and with so much motion that's going on, it's kind of arbitrary. Everyone needs to know how to do all the positions because you just never know where you're going to end up in any given week. The, The good offensive coordinators are shifting things around constantly. 
Yeah, you got you to gotta be prepared to take advantage of a matchup that's going to be favorable for you. And we're moving on to our last stats, wrapping up here. I know Q's got things he's got to do. We got another, one more chart from him on his side. What do you got for us? So this one, I was I was scrambling to throw this together right before we jumped on. <laughs> but um, shotgun. I mean, I, I started off with this looking at, honestly, look, looking at run rates and run success rates because I've – I've heard a lot about uh, like between some podcasts I listen to and some, some content creators I really respect about how, you know, being able to run the ball has actually become a really big key the last year or two as the Fangio defenses have become so, so all over the place in the NFL and, and such a big staple of the Fangio defense is like light boxes, right? So being taking advantage of that has become a real winning point in the NFL the last year or two. But in doing so and trying to find stats because they were just so hard to find that like some of this stuff is like if if you don't have the the certain subscriptions, you just can't find the right reliable numbers. But I ended up finding some shotgun stuff, some shotgun stats while doing that that were really, really interesting to me. I mean, so you look at this, three of the top – five teams in shotgun rates were in the championship games. Wow. And the other one was the 49ers who are just, it's Kyle Shanahan. Like his run, his run game is on a different level. His offense is on a different level. So like that, that's the outlier here, but three of the top five, that doesn't feel like a coincidence to me. So what what I'm seeing here is that your offense better be able to, to perform in shotgun your quarterback better be able to take advantage of the information that, that he takes in by being in shotgun. Cause when you're in shotgun, right? You, you are seeing the defense more clearly because you're further back from the line of scrimmage. You are seeing the field of what they're doing to you. And when you're running play action in shotgun, you're not turning around. So your eyes are on the defense the whole time. So your quarterback needs to be able to take advantage of that process and react quickly. Bears were 17th in shotgun rate last year. So as we can see with San Francisco, with Dallas and the Giants and the Chargers and the Dolphins and the lowly Vikings, you can get there without it, but it doesn't feel to me like your success rate is super high once you're there, at least based on last year. Now, if we look at shotgun DVOA, offensive DVOA from football outsiders in shotgun formations, you didn't win a playoff game unless you were top half of the league in this stat. I mean, Giants, Jags, Bills, Cowboys, 49ers, Bengals, Eagles, KC, all top half of the league in that. The teams that made it to the divisional, right, the divisional round, they were all, they were all in the top 10 pretty much. So – let me let me ask you a question off that because I think that's really interesting, especially with like the Giants and Jaguars, where Jaguars definitely took a big step compared to where they were. Some of that's a quarterback, but some of it seems like maybe some coaching decisions because the rest of the roster was like, okay, Giants. We already, I already talked about what I feel about Danny, Danny Dimes and, we, and the rest of that offense, but what they were able to do and still make the playoffs and, and do what they did. Why would a team, in your opinion, then not be trying to increase the percent of shotgun runs? What is preventing the Bears from being, instead of at 17, from being a top 10 team? 
Um, I mean, so this is this isn't just runs. This is total offense, mm-hmm. but ability. I mean, if you don't feel like your O line can open, if you don't feel like you can effectively run the football out of shotgun, then defenses when you're in shotgun are going to know what's coming. You know that it, it, you lose element of any surprise, and your quarterback better be really damn good to win and shot win throwing the football when the defense knows that you're not running it. it, it ultimately, I think that's where it comes down to. If you can't effectively run the football out of shotgun, you are one true. Everyone knows what you're doing when you're in shotgun. Then either that, or they're just not, they're not, they're also not worried about stopping because everyone stopped you without being worried about it when you're running the football out of shotgun. So why should they be worried? You know, it's as simple yeah. as that with some of this stuff. Um, and I mean, you look at the the yards per run out of shotgun. And granted, I do think these have a lot of scrambling numbers in here. Sure. So, like, I don't know how much I trust that the Bears are far above average NFL average running the football out of shotgun. I think Justin Fields is far above average at running the football in shotgun or not. <laughs> and that's really skewing the number here. But you don't need to be great. You just need to be respectable, right? I mean, the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl. They were below average in it. But five yards a clip is still five yards a clip. So I think that that goes a long way, and it helps that their quarterback is exceptional at passing the football out of shotgun and processing the information and making plays happen even when there's stuff not there. And that's really where, when you look at this, the Bears were below average passing the football out of shotgun. And I do think that the weapons will help that a lot. Because like we said, when you are seeing a clear mismatch, you need to be able to trust that your guy can win it, right? Or that it it even is a mismatch. Like there weren't many guys in the Bears last year that you're saying that's a mismatch. You know, you're you're saying, well, maybe that's 50-50 now, right? Like that that feels like a good spot because it's 50-50. No, you want 75-25, right? You want to be confident that, when you see something that might be a mismatch, you ought to be confident that it is one. And I think that that's something that was missing from them last year. And hopefully that helps fields processing pre-snap out of shotgun and saying like, yeah, this is easy. It's that easy button. Like you said that I'm seeing this mismatch pre-snap because I can see everything pre-snap because I'm in shotgun. I'm back here. I can see all you suckers and I'm going to take advantage of it. Yeah, my meathead synopsis of that is basically, uh, yeah, so I need to, because our O-line sucks, I need to have my running back sprinting as fast as he can to get as much of an advantage as they can because we're not sure how long they're going to be able to hold their blocks. So I need them, to, my yeah. running back, to be a, a yard or two already downfield. And also if I'm trying to do a rollout uh, the other direction with my, my super athletic quarterback, I need as much flow going the other way downhill because again, I, we need a little extra. Because you know, if I do like maybe roll one lineman out with my QB, I don't trust that lineman to be able to actually yeah. do anything. Yeah, that's my meathead take on that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this stat's as simple as like shotgun works. We need more shotgun, you know. But like, it's it's as it, it's why shotgun works. What it what about it is helping them work, helping it work, and it's it helps QB processing. Yeah, it, I think it's QB processing and just adjustments at the line too your qb can see stuff and adjust to it it helps them play that chess match exactly 
All right, so my final stat, and this is my favorite one, best for last. So I looked at percent share of teams air yards, and I got this for next-gen stats. So basically what that is is the sum of the receiver's total intended air yards, all attempts, over the sum of this, his team's total intended air yards. This is represented as a percentage. This statistic represents how much of a team's deep yards does a player account for. Number one in the league last year was DJ Moore with the Panthers at 48.73% by a pretty good margin. Number two, which was uh, Devontae Adams at 41.77, which is a 7% gap. AJ Brown was next at 41.31, Tyreek Hill 40.15, and Justin Jefferson 39.03. So DJ Moore was nearly 10% more of the Panthers receiving offense than the guy who is at the fifth most and a very good receiver in Justin Jefferson. Now you could take this and say like, all right, well, the Panthers had pretty much no other weapons and they ran the ball a lot. So it had to be DJ Moore. I like to look at it as DJ Moore is a dude. And basically why would you throw it anywhere else? Because if you throw it to the guy and he's going to go get it. And, you know, that was actually with a down year too, is one of the few times he didn't reach a thousand yards for the season because he had some bum quarterbacks throwing to him. So now I'm just thinking, okay, take a guy that can account for as much as 48.73% of the offense, throw him in with Justin Fields, who loves throwing the intermediate to deep ball, add in a Darnell Mooney, who actually just posted a video today on Twitter that Darnell, and reshared what Darnell shared in his Instagram. He's running, he's good, he's he's good to be good for training camp. So a, a healthy Darnell Mooney, a Chase Claypool that hopefully is refocused, also healthy, had some time with the playbook, a Cole Komet, who's had a great year last year, a Robert Tunyon, who's... I'm just going through all the lists now. Robert Sunning, who should be, you know, a touchdown in the red zone machine. You got this uh, amazing running back trio. I call them KDR uh, as as your shorthand, you know, Khalil, uh, Deontay, and Roshan. Like, I just imagine what this offense can do with some when you have a receiver as talented as that, that can account for that much of your offense and make it easier for the rest of your team. Yeah. So, wait, what can you repeat what the stat was again? Yeah. So percent share of team's air yard, basically the sum of the receiver's total intended air yards over the sum of his team's total intended okay. air yards. Okay. Uh, I, I I didn't catch if it was intended or completed. Yeah. Intended. Yeah. The completed, um, the Panthers would be a lot better <laughs> than they were if it was in fact completed, but yeah, just intended. So on the, on the commit note, I, uh, I was playing around for a while today with some stacks. I wanted to, I'll admit I had something in mind of what I was looking for and it just, the numbers didn't work. So I just like, it wasn't convincing enough that I was like, I, I got to scrap this, but I, I, I think Komet's going to see a lot of yard after catch opportunity this year. And really just cause I mean, I think you got to send guys on Mooney and on Moore and on Claypool. Someone's going to get stuck with their worst coverage guy. Right. And last year, it sometimes the better coverage guys were on commit. But like this year, I think he's going to have a lot of yard after catch opportunity because guys are going to be playing soft off him. Guys are going to be playing, playing backed off to help help on other other guys, other players. And he's just going to be, you know, the uh, what, what is it? The Dallas Goddard special. Right, like the, the little swing route in the oh, underneath God, yeah. and 10 yards of screen, space to yes. run. Yeah. Um but so I was looking for numbers on tight ends who have two two really quality wide receivers behind them or in front of them, I guess would be the better way to put it. 
And I, I held uh, DJ Moore's worst route running grade in his career is 72. Darnell Mooney's worst in his career is 69. So I just held those across the last two years looking for guys whose top receiver was at or better than 72. And their number two guy was at or better, 69. Um, and you got, let's see, I think it was nine out of the 13 tight end rooms. I found I just hit the whole room. Um, we're at or above average in yard after catch per reception. Um, now the other four really drag the average down. That's why I tossed it. The average is like right on spot of average, but it's like that those, those four just really drag the number down. I, so I'd first say nine out of 13, um, and eight out of the 13 ha- had an above average rate of percentage of their yards that came after the catch. Mm. I, it's just another way to look at it. Like yards yeah. after catch per reception versus the percentage of their total yards that came after the catch. It's two different. And for the most part, they're the same guys. So that, that makes me feel like pretty good about it, but like the, it just didn't display the way in a convincing enough way. So that's why I tossed it. No, I hear you. And the thing that sucks, it's almost a fantasy football thing with tight ends where like, there's that top three that like, okay, these are my three. And then there's like that middle tier where you're like, okay, I can deal with this. And then there's the bottom tier with when you get stuck with that tight end, you're like, all right, well, this is a wash every, like, I'm just going to flip through this and hope for the best. And I think that connects a little bit to what you're saying for those bottom four that skew that so much. Cause at some point you can have two really good, solid wide receivers in front of your one or two, but like if your tight end is no offense to him, but like it's Foster Moreau, I don't think that much. Like, I, I don't know how much you're really going to do there. Sorry to Foster Moreau. Yeah. That's, you know, that's just meant for me. So, you know, but when you have someone like, I, I think a Cole Komet, who is a nice blend of the big body with some athleticism and that nice, you know, with the baseball background, the ball spotting skills, all that jazz, you, you, can, you can make some noise. And he did that last year. I mean, yes, he had to get leaned on last year because the receivers are so bad. But at the same time, we talked about this. I talked about this with the whole Byron Pringle thing earlier in the show. You're looking at DJ Moore. You're looking at Darnell Mooney. Like, you can't cover everybody. Like, he, Cole Komet's going to be open. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of it really just, if a guy is explosive in a straight line, that's all you need a tight end, like, right. For that yard after the catch, if you got good receivers, like, obviously you'd like him to be shifty and have, you know, like the oily hips and make a guy's miss, but like, you can't have it all. (laughs) There are very few guys like that in the NFL. I, uh, there's a reason I think Travis Kelsey should be the number one pick in everyone's fantasy draft all time. And, it's because you don't get wide receiver one production out of a tight end very often. Right. Well, Q, thank you so much for coming on. I kept you way longer than I had promised you, but oh, you know, we good. were just rolling through the stats. And it was just so interesting. We just, we just had to keep going. <laughs> uh, where can people find you and all the awesome content you're putting out? Yeah. So majority of my content at the moment is through my podcast, Shaving Points Podcast right here on YouTube. We are going team by team. 10 to 20 minutes per team, except for the ones that we have a guest for. When we have a guest, we do a full hour on the team, pretty much 40 minutes to an hour, uh, talking the season, talking about expectations, talking about what future bets we like. So go check us out, Shaving Point Podcast. I also put out a weekly article at ONTAP Sportsnet and do a weekly Bears podcast over there called Bears on Tap. So check us out. 
Awesome. Yeah. And I, like I said, I, I go to Q for all my stat needs. I go to him for my betting needs because they're, they're pretty good at what they do. Um, I, I'm actually, once I started using more of their stuff, I finally stopped losing so much. So that was awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's absolutely. good to hear. Yeah. We, we don't hear that as much as we'd like. So that's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thanks for tuning in. I uh, hope you have a great evening. If you're listening live, if you're on the podcast, Thanks for listening on the pod, but you know, you should check it out live. Uh, like, you know, today was a good example. Q had some amazing uh, charts and everything to kind of tie everything together. Uh, we, we try to do that as much as we can. When the injuries start piling up, I do injury analysis with videos, everything of that nature. So definitely want to try to catch it live if you can, but you know, have a great night, everyone. Bear down. <laughs>